Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we're talking about the Reserve Bank and the difference between the Reserve Bank and Treasury. This comes from listener of the show, Russ. And Russ has said, guys, I love it. Ed's turning me into a stats freak. Now, Russ, you've got to lean into that. That's a very good thing that you need to continue with. And he's been saying, look, I've been reading Tony's View, which is Tony Alexander's publication, and he said that he states he doesn't think that the Reserve Bank wants to stop rising house prices because it has a positive impact on our economy. But then I read an article with James Shaw telling the government to do something to slow the market. So his question is, what's the relationship between the government, Treasury, and the Reserve Bank And then secondly, how much can the government actually control what happens? Now, I think this is such a great question. And the first thing to explain the difference between the Reserve Bank and Treasury, there are generally two sorts of policies a government can enact in order to influence the economy, other than standard regulation. First of all, you've got fiscal policy. I hope everyone's got a drink for this one, because I can just see Ed nerding out on this one in advance of answering. Sorry, As you were, I'll take my drink. You've got fiscal policy. Now, fiscal policy is when the government is able to spend money in order to impact or change the economy. Now, that is Treasury's mandate. And Treasury is there to advise the government on its fiscal spending plans. The other sort of policy they can act is monetary policy. So that's when they regulate the banks or they print more money, they lower interest rates, they lend money to banks in some cases, like we've just talked about the funding for lending program. That is all monetary policy. And that is the realm of the independent reserve bank here in New Zealand. And so Treasury and the Reserve Bank are doing two quite separate things, but of course they have opinions on what one another are doing. You'll recall that Adrian Orr for a long time has talked about that the government needs to take a more stimulatory fiscal policy. That's a fancy way of saying spend more money in order to increase economic activity out there. And so, of course, they've got opinions on what one another are doing, but essentially they are independent and they hold sway over different forms of potential government policy that could impact the economy. Now, the main question that I'm interested in is, how much can the government control what happens? And what I would say to you is this, well, it depends how far they want to go. Because if you think about ways the government could impact the housing market, they could enact some really out there and crazy policies if they really wanted to. So anybody who was alive and over the age of 15 back in the 70s will know about Muldoon's price freezes that he introduced to the economy where the price of goods were not able to increase because they were trying to stamp out inflation. You know, if the government really wanted to be crazy, you could say, well, the price of houses isn't allowed to increase and you're not able to sell a house for more than it's sold in the past. It would be a totally out there wacky policy. But we've seen that in New York, when there were rapidly rising rents, rent controls were introduced. And there are still apartments in New York where rent controls exist. And there's high demand because they're so cheap relative to what's available on the open market. Now, I'm not suggesting that the government's going to come out and enact a wild policy like that. 
But that's something that, at the most extreme end, they could actually do. The other thing, the government could potentially enact some legislation saying you're not able to own over a certain number of houses if they were trying to stamp out property investment activity. Again, I'm not suggesting that it's going to happen, but at the furthest, most extreme end, that could happen again. And then, of course, there's tax policy. I read it this morning in the paper that James Shaw is urging Jacinda Ardern to bring in a formal capital gains tax, even though she has suggested in the past that she wouldn't do it while she was in government and she would in fact resign before she did that. And I've also committed to not introducing any other new taxes or tax policies other than what they were elected on which I certainly hope they would do. But what I do want to just commend Jacinda on and the Labour Party on before I keep rattling on is that in the face over the last week of calls from both left and right to enact policy or take a harder line, she has been very staunch in the principle of the Reserve Bank being independent. And this is really important. If I can just nerd out for a minute about the Reserve Bank, it's really important that the government of the day and politicians aren't trying to tell the Reserve Bank how to enact their monetary policy. Because the Reserve Bank there, as you would have heard, is there to fulfil a mandate. They are there to keep inflation low and their mandate recently changed back in I think it was 2018, 2019 to now include maximum sustainable employment as well as making sure the monetary system is functioning and stable. Now the thing is, if you try and introduce too many other targets for the Reserve Bank, then they may in fact end up achieving none of them at all because there are too many competing priorities. It's really important that the Reserve Bank has numerical targets consumer price inflation between 1% and 3%, so that we can see, are they actually achieving it? And it is such an effective way of managing our monetary policy. And yeah, the interesting thing here is that house prices will always be the thing that makes the front page of the newspaper. It is always the topical one because everyone's always complaining that houses are expensive. And actually, it was funny because on my way to recording today, I rang one of my investors to congratulate him on his first Auckland investment property. It's his third rental property from memory, his first one in Auckland. And I just rang to say, hey, well done. Awesome that you got it now because I don't think you'll ever get it as cheap as you get it today. And you got an exceptional deal. And he said, it's really interesting to him, the amount of press that's going on about house prices going up at the moment and he said I thought that you know all these changes to make it harder for landlords was going to you know bring the housing market crashing down but it certainly doesn't look that way and this is a really interesting fact of life you can apply economic theory but economics takes over already so you can make some of these changes that they try and do to kind of control house prices and you can do things like ring fencing losses and then the economics, the wonderful world of economics, means that rents go up. And it's funny because right now you've got rents going up across the country despite the biggest cost for investors, their mortgage, going down. And we'd seen this all before. This is all predictable. In Australia, this all happened. And Andrew Nicholl said that this was going to happen again. And there was an article that I read yesterday on News Hub where Ashley Church, the former head of the Property Institute, said property prices are going to double in value in the next seven to 10 years. So the median house value now is 700000 He bets, and I believe him, that in seven to 10 years, it will be $1.4 million. And there's nothing that the government can do about it. That's just the way it is. Well, they could rapidly increase supply and make available <laughs> land through mandating it through councils. But what, So there's nothing they can do about it. Well, actually, I just want to go back as well to some of the out-there policies I was talking about before. While a government has these options and could potentially enact very, very wild policies, 
many of them are not politically sustainable and the electorate would not allow them to come in. If very extreme policies were introduced, it would make it much easier for an alternative government to come in and boot them out in three years and and redact those policies. So I don't think that it's likely that some of those more extreme things are going to come in. But certainly there are options. It's just whether you exercise them or not. Now, what's really interesting is that the Reserve Bank's mandate is up for review every five years. So every five years, they sit down and they agree with the Minister of Finance what their mandate is going to continue to be. And generally, it stays the same. But what's interesting is the Act that governs the Reserve Bank has just been through three rounds of consultation to make sure that it's fit for purpose. Now, I've been reading through these today, and I can tell you that they're all horribly boring and focus primarily around financial stability. So nothing interesting around house prices, but things that are very important for just keeping an economy going. And of course, keeping a country running is what the Reserve Bank is primarily there for. And I just want to read you a couple of excerpts from some of the papers that were in the second round of consultation. When talking about targets and metrics, they've said that, look, ideally, there would be similar targets around financial policy like there are for inflation. But the thing about financial policy and financial stability is that it's multi-dimensional in nature, and so there's not a target that exists. So some people have suggested that the Reserve Bank should be given several targets, lots of different targets, like house prices or credit-to-GDP ratio. But the risk around that is that too much attention could be paid to certain aspects of financial stability and keeping everything going when actually they need to look at a bigger picture. And what's really important to note as well is that if the Reserve Bank was to start trying to keep house prices within a certain window, whether it's 2 to 4% increases, then that provides several issues. Number one, what is the appropriate amount that house prices could or should increase every year? And then secondly, why are politicians deciding that rather than mums and dads out there buying and selling properties? Similarly, the Reserve Bank can only control interest rates and bank lending policy. They have no ability to control supply and there are several aspects of the demand side which they're unable to control as well. And remember, that's what Adrian Orr was talking about when he talked about the Productivity Commission study that was released in 2012 where interest rates, at that time at least, only made up a very small part of the housing unaffordability equation and that there are many other factors in there which we need to consider as well. Now, just so you know, that 300-page report is sitting on my bedside and I am carefully reading through it so I can come back and and give you some good topics and insights into what the Productivity Commission said back there. So it may be a few weeks, but we'll get through that. But look, I hope... Russ, that this has answered your question primarily around what's the difference between Treasury and the Reserve Bank. Treasury is all about what the government spends, the fiscal policy. Reserve Bank is independent and primarily is talking about bank regulation, the money supply in our country and interest rates. They're dealing with monetary policy. And look, while the government could potentially enact some things, it's probably pretty politically unsustainable to do anything too extreme. Fair summary? Oh, sorry, I just dozed off there for a second, Ed. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you've got a topic idea for us like Rusted, give us a text. Our number is 5522. Whip out your phone. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.